Well, now you can hear me. Good morning again. In case you missed it, today is our 65th anniversary. I'm going to say it a few times so you remember. But a lot has happened over the last 65 years at our church, and I've only been here for a couple of those. But there have been, as I look back through the records, there have been mission trips, talk to people about church planning efforts in South Korea and supporting uh, pastors and new buildings, new salvation, baptism. More recently, we think about hurricanes and COVID and things that we've been through, challenges over the past years. But through it all, all of that is still here. The church has remains. And just like in our individual lives, we know that as long as we are here, God still has a plan, a purpose for us. And so this morning, as we think about what's what's happened, what's to come, I want to look together at Paul's final encouragement to the church in Ephesus. And I think as we look at that, that will be an encouragement to us and remind us of truths that we can hold on to as we uh, continue to move forward as a church. And so if you have a Bible, we'll be in Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. We won't read the whole section. We're going to focus in on verse 32 this morning. Acts chapter 20, verse 32. Acts chapter 20, verse 32 says this. Just one verse. Paul says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. So if you remember the story of Paul, his testimony, he had a pretty miraculous conversion, right? He was persecuting the church. He was imprisoning Christians, being a part of their deaths. And then as he was going to Damascus to do more of this, he had that Damascus Road experience. This bright light shined and knocked him down and he saw the Lord and he believed and was saved. And then the Lord commissioned him, told him that you will be my witness to the Gentiles, to spread my word, to spread my name throughout the world. And so Paul had this calling to proclaim the gospel. And as he was part of a church in Antioch, the church uh, was praying, they were gathered together, and they commissioned him. They recognized he had this call on his life as well. And so they sent him and Barnabas out on their missionary journey. And Paul would go on three of these journeys throughout, really throughout the whole known world at that time, to proclaim Jesus. And at the end of his second journey, going around and telling people about Jesus, he he stopped in this place called Ephesus. 
He didn't stay there long. He was only there for about a week, as far as we can tell. But he left two people there that were part of his team, his church planning team, so to speak. And they were named Priscilla and Aquila. You might recognize those names. And so that's where they were at, and they were stationed there for a long time. It seems that, as Paul wrote his letters, that the church was actually meeting in their house, so they were kind of established in a mainstay in that church. And another significant person that came out of Ephesus was not just those two, but was someone named Apollos. And if you're familiar with the New Testament, you know that Apollos was... Really, he was famous for his work in Corinth, famous for being a great preacher, a great proclaimer of Jesus. But he got his start there in Ephesus. That's where Priscilla and Aquila, they heard him proclaiming Jesus, but they, they recognized something was maybe a little bit off. He didn't quite understand everything. And so they didn't uh, you know, rebuke him publicly or try to silence him or distance themselves from him. They they took him under their wings, so to speak. They discipled him, helped him understand more. And then he was commissioned out as well to go to Corinth to proclaim Jesus. And so this church, even before Paul gets there, has this history of not only ministry happening there, but actually being able to impact ministry in the surrounding cities. And it's a reminder to us that we shouldn't underestimate the importance of being that Priscilla and Aquila in our own lives as well, right? They were able to impact countless believers just because they were willing to talk to this person, help him understand a little bit more, not quench his passion, but, but just help guide him a little bit in the right direction, Right. And so we also have that opportunity. We've been able to do that in the past as a church. And I know throughout our history, we've had people connected to here who have gone to other places, be that as pastors, missionaries, ministers in churches, or really just church members who have gone out and have contributed to the health and stability of other churches. And so we can we can give thanks for that, that our church has been able to be a part of that. And so we can be, we can continue to do that as Priscilla's and Aquila's ourselves. And so as Priscilla and Aquila, they'd supported Apollos, he'd gone out. And after he left, it's into this context that Paul comes back on his third missionary journey now. He's, he comes back around to the city of Ephesus. And he stayed there for really for three years, teaching and teaching first, as was his custom in the synagogues. And then when they rejected his message, they met in a, a building outside and all the believers followed him and were growing in a part of a church. And by the time his ministry was done there, the Bible says that all of Asia had heard about Jesus. So Paul's impact just from this one place, this one church, people would, would travel through Ephesus and here, or they would move somewhere else and take the message with them. Just from his ministry here, Paul impacted all of Asia with the gospel. 
And so it's in this context, as he lived there, people heard the message, people's lives were changed, that Paul really had this ministry. One of the stories that comes out of the New Testament that we read about is that it wasn't just that people were changing their beliefs, but their whole lives were changed. In this city, there were lots who didn't worship Jesus, which was true of all the world at that time, but they were they practiced magic. They were Satan worshipers. But they heard this message. They believed and were changed. And they, they brought all their, their books, their magic books, so to speak. And they brought them together and they burned them. They said, we're no longer associated with this. We're making a clean break. We're going to follow Jesus. And they were so changed. They were willing to give up what's, what's estimated to be $4 million worth of books in order to turn and follow Jesus. And so God was doing these amazing works in the life of people there through the ministry of Paul. And then it all changed rather suddenly. People began to believe, and as people began to believe and live as Christians, it changed them. They didn't worship idols like they used to. They didn't spend their money on the same things. And so the people who made the idols out of silver, they got upset because they weren't making money anymore. The business had dried up, right? And so then a riot started in this city because Jesus had so impacted the culture that it was affecting everyone in the city. And so they drove Paul out. He had to leave because of this uproar. And as he had gone off, he was coming back eventually to Jerusalem. He wanted to see this church one more time. He was going back to Jerusalem. He knew that he would be arrested. He wouldn't see them again. And so this place that he had had so close contact, again, three years of his life was there. He called the leaders of the church, the pastors, the elders, to meet with him one last time as he went to Jerusalem. And that is where we pick up here in Acts chapter 20. This is Paul saying goodbye to the church. This church that he had impacted so much, he had seen people be saved. Some of these pastors there had probably been converted under him. They had grown up. They were like children to him. He was like a father to them. And here he is saying goodbye. And so what is it, what is it as Paul says goodbye to people that he wants them to remember and keep in mind? He won't be there anymore, but he cares about this church. What does he want them to remember, to know as they go forward in life? And this is what we read in our verse this morning. Paul tells them this truth in Acts 20 verse 32. He says, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul wanted them to remember this, that God, through his word, is able to mature you now and to bring you into glory. So God, through his word, is able to mature you right now and to bring you into glory. And so he started that by saying that it's God who does this. 
right? The church is matured, the church is kept because God does it. I commend you to God. God is the one who is going to do this work. God is going to keep them and mature them. This is what Paul believed. We see this throughout the New Testament, really. We can look at John 15, 5, which says, Without him, without Jesus, we can do nothing. It's through Jesus that we bear much fruit. We need God in our lives in order for anything of any worth to come about. Right In Ephesians 2.10, we read that God prepares good works for us to do. God is setting us up for these things. He's at work behind the scenes. We read in Philippians 2.13, a similar idea that God works in us to want to follow him and to empower us to follow him. And so God is at work in us and through us that we would mature and grow to be like him and one day be with him in heaven. We see this play out in the life of Haggai, in the book of Haggai, as the Lord stirs the people's hearts to want to follow him. We see it also in Second Chronicles that God's hand, it says God's hand was on the people, giving them a singleness of heart to obey. God was moving. God was at work. Paul knew that this is what the people needed. This is what the church Needed. It is the Lord who sanctifies you, as Leviticus says. Uh, if you've been here since I've been here, every Sunday morning we close with the same passage of Scripture. I read the doxology from Jude, and maybe you've memorized it just by hearing it uh, so many times, but it really fits in with this idea that our, our hope, our joy comes from God. So when you hear it later this morning, you'll make that connection. It says these same things. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. God is able to keep us from stumbling, to hold us fast until the end when we are with him, he's able to mature us and make us blameless so that we grow in holiness. Paul knew that this is what the church needed to remember. As they lose their church pastor, the one who started the church, the only one they had ever known, how do they know that they're going to be able to continue, that they're going to be able to still survive and sustain and grow? And Paul reminds them it's because they don't rely on him, but they rely on God. God will do these things. And so this was the truth Paul wanted to leave them with. God was going to do this. But Paul didn't just say that. He didn't just say God was going to do this. right? He told them a little bit of how God was going to do it. How was God going to actually sustain them, actually help them to mature and grow in holiness. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. God matures Christians and brings them into glory through his word, through the word of his grace. It's through the Bible that God specifically does this. Right? God uses his word to change us, to make us look more like him. We read in Hebrews that 
God's word is living and active. It's, it's like a mirror, James says, that shows us what's going on in the deepest part of our souls so that we can come face to face with that. And then the light that his word brings changes us in the deepest parts of who we are. It convicts us, it comforts us, it encourages us. It's always giving us exactly what we need because God knows who we are and exactly what we need. And he's spoken that word to us in the Bible. We read the same thing in Psalm 119, that that passage, that chapter, the longest chapter in the Bible, that is all about a love for God's word, right? It's through the word of God that we know what's right and wrong and are able to pursue blamelessness because of God's word. And then in 2 Peter, Peter writes this, this promise to us that God, through his promises, has given us everything we need in life. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness through his promises. And so in the word of God, we have that. We have everything we need to be delivered from sin, to be made holy in the eyes of God, to continue to walk down that narrow path. He gives us his word as a a lamp to our feet and a light to our path to change us and hold on to us through his word. We see that example from Jesus. It's not just Paul saying this, right? Jesus lived this out. When Jesus was tempted in the desert by by Satan, right? Jesus is God. He can overcome Satan in numerous ways, but he gave us the example. How is it that you as followers of Jesus will overcome temptation, will overcome the devil? When Jesus was tempted, he didn't just answer with his own words, right? He answered with words from the Old Testament. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus was showing us that we can trust that we have what we need. It is enough for him to overcome temptation. It was enough for Jesus. It's enough for us as well. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's what Paul wrote to Timothy, who was the pastor at the church in Ephesus. This was his consistent message to this church. Hold fast to God. Hold fast to his word. It is enough for you. This is what Paul knew they needed to hear as they were saying goodbye. Hold on to that. And so as we think about our church, we think about where we've been and where we're going. Paul's truths really are the same for us as well. I uh, counted it up this week and including myself, as best I can tell, there have been eight pastors here at this church. I'm the eighth. And they've come and gone and they've served well. Some have served for as little as five years, some up to 18 years. But the church has continued no matter who has stood in the pulpit. And that is because it's not reliant on the person up front, 
but it's reliant on God who is in us as a people, who will keep us and sustain us. Throughout our church, not only have there been a handful of pastors, but there's also been several members. I didn't actually go count them all because it would take a long time, but my best estimate is there's been over 400 unique members of our church since we've been a church, probably more than that, but that's a conservative estimate. Unique members of our church over the years. And some of those have been here from the beginning. Some are still here. Some have moved. Some have moved to different churches. Some have moved on into the presence of God. But, but the church is still here. Because God is showing us that he is faithful to this truth. That it's him and his word that will keep us. That will sustain us. That will mature us. And also will keep us until he returns or we're in his presence. And so we can trust that Jesus loves the church. Jesus loves the church more than we do. He came and he died for his bride, Ephesians 5 tells us. And he will make sure that he completes that work to make us blameless and bring us into his presence. And so as Paul was confident of these things... He knew he wouldn't see them again, but he knew that God would keep maturing them. And so really for us, as we think about this and we think about holding on to God and holding on to his word, there are really a couple of maybe applications for us, right? The first would be to love God. It's uh, maybe the most simple thing, but as we think about the church in Ephesus, Right, we can trace their trajectory. This doesn't end when Paul says goodbye. They are they are around at the end of the Bible as well. Uh, years later, John wrote them a letter, and in the book of Revelation, they are still a church. They're still gathering, but John notices something about them is different. He says, "You still do the same works. You still are surviving, and even maybe looks like you're doing well, but there's something missing. You have." lost your first love. That's how John words it. And so as we think about this church in Ephesus, it's a reminder to us as well as we seek to continue, seek to hold on to God and to his word, that it starts with loving God. Why do we come to church on Sundays? Hopefully it's because we enjoy it, (laughs) but it's also... Ultimately, I think, because we love God. That's why we should. And we can examine our hearts and see that. And it should encourage us to come more if we love God, to be around his people. But also it should be, you know, a critique of us as well. How often do I come just because it's Sunday and it's my pattern and I don't have anything else going on? Hopefully not. But it's a reminder, don't be like this church in Ephesus. Hold on to this love. Make this love for God the main thing. Remind yourself this morning of why you are here. This is the foundational task. The greatest commandment, Jesus said, is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so we must Focus on stirring up our love for God. We must also 
in order to love God and mature, we must devote ourselves to knowing and following God's word. Paul said, hold on to the word. It's enough for you. And so this is why Paul reminded them. This is why Timothy ministered in the way he was, that the church was supposed to be characterized as a place that you heard the word of God. These were a people who followed the word, who followed the message of Jesus. They knew it. They overflowed with it. Have you ever just been around one of those people who they're just a godly person who just has the word flowing out of them? Like you can't be around them for more than 30 minutes without them just emanating something from the Bible, something of the love of God, right? As we have the word in us, it will do more of that. It will flow out of us and it will mature us. And not just us, it'll mature the people around us. As you can probably attest, if you've been around those people, you're always encouraged, you're always challenged by being around them. That is how God intends to build his church, both individually and as a church. God's word must be foundational. And so love the word. Uh, I quoted Psalm 119.1 earlier, but that's a good chapter just to read. If you're looking, how do I start getting back into Bible reading? Just read a few verses out of that chapter each day and pray that that passion for the word that you read about would be stirred up in your heart as well. And so as Paul leaves the church, he's he's sad. We can read in chapter 20 that there are many tears cried, and you can imagine that would be the case of having come so close to these people who you're not just around, but your souls are knit together on an eternal level, right? Paul is sad, but he's, he's also full of hope. He's full of hope of what is to come because he knew what God was able to do. He knew that he had planted, Apollos had watered, but God gives the increase, And so he looked to God to bring that about in the church. And now, 2,000 years later, we serve the same God who works in the same way. And so we can be reminded of this same truth, that Jesus loves the church, that Jesus will continue to work in his church until we are matured and until we are with him. And for that reason, we hold on to him in love. We hold on to his word, and we also can be filled with hope, not just looking back over the past 65 years on what the Lord has done, but looking forward and what will the Lord do as we make this our aim to to love him, to hold on to him, and to hold on to his word. As is our custom, we're going to have a time of response this morning because We don't just want to be hearers of the word. James says to be doers of the word as well. So we want to respond as the Lord has moved in us, as he's either convicted or encouraged us through his word, as he's done the very things we talked about this morning, as he's done that this morning in your heart, respond to him in whatever way you need to. Uh, If you need to come forward and talk about what does it mean to start following Jesus or what does it mean to be a part of this church, I want to join together with you. Or maybe 
you feel God leading you into some avenue of ministry or mission work, however you need to respond to the Lord, uh, let's use this time of response to respond to his word this morning. So would you stand as we have this time of response?